right. Well, this is Stephen Waggis back with LABI with our latest edition of the Biz Podcast, where we profile interesting people and talk about hot topics of the day. And we're going to do just that right now with uh, an interesting guy and a good friend of mine, a guy named Tyler Gray. And for those of you that spend time in the Capitol, you know exactly who that is. But those who don't, Tyler Gray is... He's a big wig with uh, Placid Refinery. Um, he can d- say his title in a little bit. But before that, he was he was head of LAMOGA, the Louisiana Mid-Continent Oil and Gas Association here. And before that, he was a an attorney with the Department of Natural Resources. He, he's a lawyer. He's an economist. He's a former rugby and football player in college. He's just a dude. And so we're going to talk to him a little bit about what's going on in the refining world today. And also, look, there's no, no secret. It's a hot topic right now is gas prices, how out of control they are what some of the federal policies that are impacting that, what role refiners and, and, and laws and restrictions have on that and the war in Russia and all that good stuff. So we're going to get into that today with Tyler. So without further ado, Tyler, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to be here today and look forward to going through this conversation. So is big wig the best way to refer to your title over there? Is that, I, is that right? I prefer big wig, yeah. uh, but you can also, I manage a lot of stuff over there. Corporate and government affairs is really where I Bread and butter for me. Okay, so that's the official title. We'll go with that one. Right? Yep. Corporate and government affairs. That's a fantastic title you got there. So Placid Refining. Tell us a little bit about Placid because I know it's a very uh, critical component of our energy system here in Louisiana. They're a great employer in the area, but a lot of people maybe not know a lot about them. So give me a little background on who Placid is and what they do. So Placid is what I think is the best kept secret in the Baton Rouge area. Um, so the company itself has been around uh, since 1975, mm-hmm. located here in Baton Rouge. Uh, we have about 300 employees, with 75 of those being contractors. Uh, we, you know, we're here in the market making gasoline, diesel, jet fuel, um, LPGs, all sorts of products that we use in our everyday lives. Um, and so we actually work and and deliver these products throughout the entire state. Uh, we make all the products that you see every day, um, and we work with some of our big customers to make Exxon, Chevron, all the types of branded gasoline you see out there here in Louisiana. Um, And our production levels and what we're moving through the state, we're producing about one in four of the gallons of gasoline that Louisianans are putting in their cars. Wow. Um, At at that one facility right on the other side of the river? So we work and have three facilities that we distribute fuel directly in Louisiana. We have a terminal in Monroe, Mm -hmm. Alexandria, and then we actually have the largest truck rack outside of Baytown. Beaumont awesome. area. So we have a heavy volume that comes right through Baton Rouge. So 25, let me get, make sure I get this right, 25% of the gas purchased in Louisiana comes through Placid Refining? Mm-hmm. Correct. Awesome. And that, yeah, I don't think many people understand that, how big a player that is in the market. So that's good to know. So, okay, so, and you buy your raw crude, I guess, from companies we've heard of, companies we've never heard of. How do you get your, your raw crude? So one of the great things about being in the situation that we're in is we can be nimble. We can buy a lot of different products. We buy Louisiana crude. Mm-hmm. Uh, we buy crude from the Gulf of Mexico. We buy it from West Texas. It's really whatever the flavor of the day is mm-hmm. and the way we modify those units. Um, we do a lot of traffic on the river. We bring a lot in from by pipeline. Uh, or, you know, people drop it off by truck, whether or not whatever we can do to help support those economies or what's actually being produced here in the state. And is that unique to Placid, or is that kind of a common denominator for most refineries in this region, that you have to be nimble, you have to be aware of getting supply from all over the globe, depending on situations? Is that is that common, or is that a rarity? So it, it depends on the area, mm-hmm. sort of where you are, what the history is. Uh, the West Coast, they process a lot of light sweet Right, so that's going to come from. Is that good or bad? Light sweet. It it, it's primarily imported, right? So that's going to be a lot of where that's coming from. 
the Gulf Coast actually has a tradition of a heavy sour blend. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to be coming from, you know, you do get a lot from South America. You get some from, um, you know, really wherever you can get it. Mm-hmm. But so the tradition and history around the Gulf Coast is that heavy sour blend. Mm-hmm. Now for us, you know, you know, because so we actually are, you know, can do up to 82,000 barrels a day is our max capacity. There are some laws that we usually try to stay around that 75,000 barrel capacity or under mm-hmm. for average for the year. Mm-hmm. And so depending on what's available and what we can process is really what we look to to do. So to answer your question, it's not necessarily true that every facility can be as nimble, um, you know, but we just don't have the same interconnected network that you've got with some of the other facilities here in the state making chemical feedstocks. So you're moving those products. So the flexibility is, is different. We can process different types of crude to be able to make and maximize the amount of products that are coming out of it, mm-hmm. as opposed to being able to interconnectedly move those products. That's sort of the difference of the business it. itself. Okay, so how many refineries in Louisiana? So at one point, there were 19, uh, sort of as we've seen nationally, there have been shut down slowly mm-hmm. and surely and reducing our capacity. Now we are at uh, about 15 is what we have now in the state. Uh, there's a Calcasieu refining, which is uh, the Last I checked, was not operating. They had shut down following the COVID um, impacts that came with that to demand destruction. And then during Hurricane Ida, the facility in Plaquemine Parish, Bell Chase mm-hmm. area, yeah. uh, it was dem- damaged so badly they've not been able to restart it. And so the down for you, you said the high of 19, that was how many years ago? Uh, it was probably in the 90s is about when they did it. Uh, but since then, you know, it just sort of slowly shut them down. Oh, excuse me. And then they shut down the facility in Convent, right? So that was about 225 barrels a day that they were processing. So, And my guess is throughout the country, there's similar stories there that over the last 20, 30 years, um, you know, I, I, my understanding is a new refinery hadn't been built in America since like the 70s or something like that. So most states, they're either like they have legacy facilities that they're trying to keep up to date or they are losing numbers of facilities in their state. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's definitely accurate. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things that, that has also been sort of the hot topic recently is you have seen an increase in biofuels. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as you see those increases, what, you know, what we look at on a regular basis, and it's something that we should all sort of pay attention to, is that discrepancy between what they're shutting down the capacity and then what they are bringing online. So when you look, there's been recent announcements around moving, a, you know, a fossil fuel capacity and shifting it towards a biofuel facility. Mm-hmm. Well, the difference is 225,000 barrels a day to 10,000 barrels a day. Huge drop. Huge drop. And so... And and is that because of it's a lengthier process or you have to retrofit equipment and facilities? What is the biggest factor into that being such a different differential? So the biggest factor is actually the existing technology, right? And the energy density that comes with a hydrocarbon molecule. So oil is actually in fossil fuels is the highest energy density of any accessible technology that we have today. Mm And actually, the uh, United States has the most complex and efficient refining capacity in the entire world, which is one of the reasons why you have seen sort of this increase in prices of oil is because even if you were not processing the Russian crude that was coming out of that country, 
we would actually in the facilities here would process sort of those byproducts, right? And because we are very efficient, I mean, you American look, refinery gets more bang out of the buck correct. on that crude than other refiners in other parts of the globe. Correct. So shutting us down, limiting us, restricting us only hurts. Get, you know, squeezing more energy out of every ounce of, of crude. Is that accurate? That's accurate. Okay, so let's get to kind of what the world market is a little bit that we understand a little bit of what's going on in Louisiana. So, look, let's be honest. The president has made some comments that, look, he sees the same crisis everyone else sees right now. you got gas prices going through the roof. That's hurting her, her businesses. It's hurting families. It's impacting whether you're going on vacation or going to work every day or driving a school bus. It hurts. Um, the president's response thus far has been um, – refiners, oil companies do more. Um, we're going to waive transportation taxes and you know put a Band-Aid on this and hope a, a political answer can solve a policy problem. Um, and that's about it. He, he hasn't looked in the mirror on some of the federal policies that we, you know, I think many of our members feel like are a big cause to this. What's your take on, uh, on the scope of the problem at hand and some of the biggest factors causing the challenge on, on rising prices right now? So one of the biggest challenges in general is this disconnect between the market demand for the product and then the policies that are impacting that supply, Mm -hmm. right? So it really is basic economics. And so the president has made announcements and made decisions that are limiting that supply. You know, they've made the decision not to have a lease sale in the Gulf of Mexico. That impacts the supply. And look, for folks who don't do this for a living, Give a little quick hit on what that means, holding up lease sales in the Gulf of Mexico. Absolutely. And um, I appreciate you keeping me out of the weeds because that can get, that, you know, that's right where I want to go. Well, you're too smart for all of us, okay? So we, I got to yeah. put you in plain English sometimes. I appreciate that. At least I play <laughs> it, right? You know, fake it. Um, hey, fake it till you make it, man. It's a good way to live life. Um, so the federal government actually, uh, they lease property, right? Just like the state would. And so they have lease sales, which is when you get to bid and on property that you would have the right to drill. Uh, The Gulf of Mexico has some of the largest reserves anywhere in the world Mm -hmm. of oil. And I find this interesting. I'm going to watch your face as I say that to see if I'm too weedy. You got to pull me back. I'm I'm mesmerized. All right, here we go. Here we go. So when you look at those, the zones uh, for when you're drilling for oil, the layers have uh, application to periods of dinosaurs the old days and i have a six-year-old who's into dinosaurs so i've been making that connection love it so is he mesmerized also when you get into that oh he's just mesmerized by me basically yeah and all the facts i've got for good reason um and so it's primarily plants right so oil comes from fossilized plants that are pressurized and then they end up creating that hydrocarbon Mm -hmm. and so between as the oceans evaporate and the plants die, creates this increased pressure around salt Mm -hmm. domes and things like that. And so over the years, the bottom of the ocean at the Gulf of Mexico has ended up creating these incredibly huge reserves of old plants, fossilized plants. And so that's why that oil is so vast. And so when the federal government makes the decision to cut that off, right, to not allow for increased lease sales production, you know, they also have a shelf life to say some some extent, right? Some mm-hmm. wells are more productive than others. So when you are not bringing more wells online, the demand stays the same, and then you have this depreciation or decreased yeah. valuation of the well itself, you're ending up with a restriction on the supply. Right. And so 
those decisions impact the price. So, and, and, you know, if you think about just kind of like the, the bell curve and the axis and all the stuff that you economists talk about, like at the same time, the COVID pandemic economy that was told to go home for two years and get on Zoom, and now everyone's out. They're going back to work. They're traveling. They're flying. They're driving. They're doing all this stuff. They're shipping products. So the economic demand's going up right now at the same time. You've got federal restrictions say, let's not use American oil. Let's not go to the Gulf of Mexico. And let's lot, not lease those properties. So restricting supply at the same time as demand's going up. It's almost like a perfect recipe if you wanted to cause um, shortages and price spikes. I mean, that's spot on, right? And one of the things that I find is something that people – there's an opportunity to learn more in this space. And that is like, you are looking down the road. This is not something that's traded, uh, you know, that you pull up a barrel oil, I go over and refine it, and then I can put fuel for your car. Uh, You're looking at, I mean, you have West Texas Intermediate, which is one of the primary measurements for U.S. oil. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's traded right now for August futures, right? So you're looking at contracts that are traded way down the road. Um, And so, when you look at those decisions, some of the things that they say or the CEOs of these companies that are looking to drill for oil is that when you have these conversations, you're not creating a level of comfort of your investment. People aren't investing, right? right. So when you make these decisions and you're looking down the road, why am I going to buy those contracts? Right. And, and so, but that's not what the president says. The president says the problem is Putin and corporate greed. And that's the only problem we have right now. So, um, what impact does Putin have on this? Let, let's say that um, Russia was still producing and wasn't attacking Ukraine and everyone was comfortable buying Russian oil and gas and everything was fine, and he still was restricting the Gulf and, uh, like this. Um, do you think we'd have the same issues now? Do you think it would be more, more or less of an issue? What, what's your perspective on that? So the way that Russia actually impacts us directly is it's actually the connection to Europe, mm-hmm. right? So Europe has traditionally been a heavy relier of Russian crude. Mm-hmm. And with that, um, that restriction that they put on it, so you're not no longer getting that crude from Russia, they have to go someplace else to get it, right? right? And so the primary place that they get it is going to be the North Sea. Now, that is titled Brent Crude. Mm-hmm. And so you can actually look informally to look at the difference between the prices. When I looked this morning, Brent crude um, was trading about $7 more per barrel, Mm -hmm. right? So that's the immediate fix for Europe, but they can't, they don't have enough, right? It doesn't matter what you cut off. It's about what people want. And so when you kind of start to see this discrepancy, they have to go someplace else to get it. So they come to the U.S., right? And so when you have Gulf of Mexico crude or West Texas that's at 105 and Brent that's at 111, there's basically an incentive naturally through the market to process that crude, send it to Europe. So by cutting off the supply on the eastern flank, right, of Europe to Russia, you're ending up putting more pressure on the U.S. economy. And so that's really why – that's how Russia impacts us. There are companies that import Russian crude directly, right, contracts, but there's been a commitment not to do that. But what you have now is you have this increased pressure on the U.S. market without an impact in the change to the demand. So Russia, by taking away that supply, is pulling our resources. So is it fair to say that it's always a bad idea for the federal government to unilaterally say, we just don't like oil and gas, and so we're going to stop leasing no matter where it is. And the biggest, most sweetest – uh, collection of it's in the Gulf of Mexico. So it's always a bad idea just to shut down down for, for just, you know, policy reasons. 
but especially at a time when Europe is out there on the market looking for a, a new supplier. This would be a great market share opportunity. Think about the same time, like you got supply chain problems. We're trying to repatriate all that back to, to our shores. If you can build those contracts and relationships while Russia is basically putting themselves out of the game by being, you know, an activist, you know, dictator, wouldn't this be a great time for America to say, we're going to start leasing more. We're going to put more on the market. We're going to bring those European contracts here. And, oh, by the way, we've got a more efficient crew that we can refine and get more bang out of the buck. That's less need of raw product to get finished product. And, oh, by the way, we have stronger environmental safeguards here to produce that product in a clean way as compared to some of these other countries. So it seems like it'd be good for the American economy, for the international climate, for Europe itself, if we would just allow our American producers to do what we've always done very well, which is produce the Gulf in a safe and affordable way. So it really is the dumbest possible policy at the worst possible time what's going on right now. Is that is that fair to say? Well, it's going to impact market share. And I think that's the best point uh, that, you know, going through how this, you know, how, how the global economy works. And so, you know, back in the day, I remember that when he was a senator, one of his big things was the foreign relations aspect of that. Mm-hmm. But Rather than capitalizing on, on an opportunity to increase your market share in the energy space, what you're seeing is that market share being filled by countries that are not necessarily who you'd want to see filling that market exactly. share, right? So you're creating a reliance on those middle-of-the-road nations that ne- don't necessarily have access to it. So Nigeria was a big place that you're producing a lot of crude or processing a lot of materials, well, then now all of a sudden you have that country, rather than looking to the U.S. or whoever else, you, you know, that they can't get it from us because we're squirreling it away. So right. now they got to go, well, I'm going to go to this, whoever I can get it from, China, Russia. And so that's the other aspect around you are putting these mid-major countries in a tight, restricted You're forcing space. them to go into the hands of the dictators right now. You're saying it's the biggest threat to the world. You're forcing them to go to those palaces and say, please, let me let me depend my economy on your supply. It makes no sense if you're trying to make the world safer and if you're trying to make the environment cleaner. Because I don't pretend to be an expert on Chinese environmental regulations of refining, but I'm guessing it's not as rigid and robust as the ones that we have in America. Is that fair? Oh, that's definitely accurate. You know, and you see announcements. So you're making the world less safe. You're making the air dirtier and you're making the American economy weaker than it needs to be simply because of an ideological punishment that you feel like you need to do on American fossil fuels. And, and so how does that all play into our gas prices, right? Um, so 54%, so let's say more than 50% of gas prices is directly related to crude, right? So that's the cost. So then after that, you have 15% is taxes, 15% is refining, 15% is the gas station just trying to like create sort of a level yeah. playing field. So when you are increasing those prices of the product itself, then, I mean, that's the impact, right? And so when you're not producing the product, that's going to raise the gas prices at the pump. Okay, so you brought up prices. I'm glad you did. There's a lot that goes into the price. When your average person goes to the pump to fill up, they just see the total number, right? They don't see the things that stack up to make it. <clears throat> Uh, this week, <clears throat> excuse me, the the president came out and said, I got an idea. I'm not going to open up American drilling. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask Congress to suspend the federal gas tax for, I don't know, two, three, four, however long it takes months to get the poll numbers right. And that'll be the solution. 
Louisiana's congressional delegation came out. They're not big fans of this idea. I have no idea whether it's going to pass or fail in Congress. But regardless of what passes or fails, it doesn't address any of the underlying issues. Uh, it, is a little relief at any time helpful? Sure, I guess. But it doesn't solve any problems. It just kind of like hides the problems. What is your thought on that proposal to suspend the, the federal gas tax? And I think at the same time, they're encouraging states across the country, hey, y'all should do the same thing. What do you think about that policy? Well, I, I, any policy, you know, it, there are going to be indirect impacts. There are going to be things that you didn't anticipate. And one of the things that I don't know if they did anticipate is that there would be pushback on that around their investment in infrastructure, right? So that gas tax is going directly to the investment in roads and bridges yeah. and all the things that they've made priorities in other avenues. And so it's kind of, uh, it's it's unclear and confusing as to why that would be something that would be effective. Right. Um, it, one of the challenges that we have seen um, as I, you know, kind of sit from the catbird seat and watching being a smaller company compared to some of the larger ones is that it, it when you have those signals are not clear. Right. When you want to invest more in infrastructure on X, but then you want to suspend here. But we want to put all the pressure on the companies that are actually producing the energy. That's the mixed message. That's what creates the lack of clarity and why I would want to invest. Does it feel like sometimes the, the federal regulations are designed to try to encourage refiners like you to fail? Like the end game is to, to whittle you all down so that one day we can be um, unburdened by this horrible um, collector of refiners who provide product that we depend on every single day. I feel like that's a, it's an intended policy, don't you think? So what our focus is, is on being efficient, right? And so the, the refining process is one that is looking to maximize every product that we can make out of a barrel of oil, right? So we have an incentive to keep it in the pipe, right? So there's no reason that I would want to intentionally lose any of that commodity or do anything like that. So we end up focusing on maintaining the integrity of the system as a whole, and we comply with every regulation that's ever been put on us. Um, Louisiana actually has seen their emissions go down on a pro-rata basis compared to the increased energy production and GDP. And that trend is one that likely continues if the R&D and the embracement of American technology continues to, to unfold. I mean, I hear from companies all across the energy spectrum right now and how they wanted to invest their internal dollars, their their borrowed dollars, their private equity dollars into becoming cleaner, more diversified, getting into new fuels. That trend is is on a good track, but it only continues to go that way with an embracement of the American energy industry <clears throat> as a partner as compared to an enemy, right? Absolutely. And I mean, you and I have worked together long enough that my, I mean, what I want to do is try to find a solution. I've always worked in a transparent, straightforward way. And that's the way that I've acted now, right? We've been lucky enough to have folks that are from Louisiana working in Washington, communicate with them on a regular basis on those opportunities, and, and talk to them and be one that wants to be part of the solution, not necessarily an enemy. And I don't know if it's always reciprocated. There's always a, a, an, you know, a, an ear to, to listen, um, but it would be great to sort of make those decisions uh, with more of a comprehensive understanding of how it's impacting the economy. Amen. Well, <clears throat> let's, uh, let's wrap this up and, and talk about solution. Last thing. Take your crystal ball out. What are a couple of things you would do to get this into a more stable market, get prices under control? Just a couple of things that you would do if you were king for a day to turn the tide on this. 
So I, I think there are a couple of short-term impacts that you could make modifications to. I mean, there are going to be some regulatory opportunities to, you know, at the, with the stroke of a pen, um, you could end up uh, bringing the prices down. Uh, there's been things that were originally, originally passed uh, in early 2000s that maybe not necessarily having the impact that they would be today uh, around the renewable fuel standard and some of those things, you could make some improvements. You could increase production, right? You could reduce the burden on a business to, to make that investment in capital, and that's around the intangible drilling costs and some of the things there. You could also just be more open-minded about what uh, what your commitment is to the energy in the transition. Based on existing technology, there is not enough capacity to meet the energy demands of the United States. So you're going to have to make some sort of, and have some sort of reliance on oil and gas in the near term. And, you know, working for my, you know, working for Placid, you know, we are here for the long term, right? We have, a, it's an asset-based business with significant and complicated equipment, and we plan to make whatever people buy. Right. And so having that disconnect and, and lacking the opportunity to collaborate, would, would we would see vast improvement. Yeah. And look, I, I think what the, the end game is, is that entities like whether it's refiners like Placid, whether it's some of the crude oil suppliers, whether it's the downstream guys, I think everyone is trying their best to do the job of providing what's needed today and investing and modernizing for where the market's going tomorrow. And all they're looking for is a partner in D.C. as compared to uh, someone who just wants to wrap everyone in tripwire and wait for them to to mess up. And so that is the need. That's what you're asking for. I think that's what we hear across the spectrum of folks are asking for. And hopefully at some point soon, sanity prevails and we get to that world. So, um, look, I want to thank you for coming in and uh, appreciate everything you do. Um, I'm going to stand with my earlier um, statement that you are the bigwig. Uh, at Placid and in many other aspects. And uh, I don't know, you've always been a great partner. So uh, thanks uh, for all you do. And anything else you want to add before we close out of here? Well, I just really appreciate the opportunity uh, and, you know, working with us to be able to have communicate this message. And it's just one of those things where the global demand will be there. Will the U.S. policy match? Oh, with that leading question, we will tune in next time to find out the answer to that and more on the biz podcast. Uh, my name is Stephen Wagesback. You've been listening and thanks for joining in. Have a good day.